Good evening, Patriots. And tonight we're going to have a really special Friday night because we're going to have Pastor Brad Cummings on tonight. He's going to be in here in just a moment. But it's going to be a great conversation. We're just going to kind of open it up to let where things go. And I think I have a pretty good idea when the Holy Spirit steps in like this, it's going to be something you will not forget. It's pretty typical of the type of conversations we have. So really looking forward to it. And of course, you heard or should have heard from the previous hour that Bart's Fest has been set now in Flemingsburg, Kentucky at the Madeline Farms. And Flemingsburg, Kentucky at the Madeline Farms, that's going to allow us to start putting tickets up for sale next week. That was a change from Fredonia, Kansas. This is much better place. Really excited about this. And that just, if you want to hear the whole story, tune into Bards FM from the last hour, you'll get the whole thing. But in short, Flemingsburg, Kentucky is where we're going to have Bards Fest. It will be on the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd of September, essentially the same dates. And it's going to be a great event. All right, before we get going, let's get a quick message from Mike Lindell. Over the last 20 years, with all your support, we've been able to not only launch the original MyPillow, but also the MyPillow mattress topper, Giza Dream bed sheets, My Slippers, and the MyPillow bath towels. But there's so much more. In fact, we have over 200 products, and I'm so confident that you'll love each and every one of them that when you go to MyPillow.com now, you'll immediately receive a free gift valued at $20 just for checking out the website. No purchase necessary. Get everything from my pillow blankets, sleepwear, kitchen towels, mattresses, duvets, pet beds, body pillows, comforters, couch pillows, bathrobes, and so much more. So go to mypillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code to get deep discounts on all my pillow products. And remember, just for checking out mypillow.com, you'll immediately receive a free gift valued at $20. No purchase necessary. This is a limited time promotion, so go to mypillow.com now. Uh, Patriots, that's mypillow.com forward slash Bards, promo code Bards. You know what you're to do? Just go over there and get a free gift. And while you're there, like, fall in love with all those great things that Mike's got. All right, Patriots, now without further ado, now let me tell you, this is Pastor Brad Cummings, producer of The Shack, editor of The Founder's Bible. I think we're just going to give him, like, ambassador for Jesus at large. Hey, and, and there I'll is. take it. All right. What's it going, Brad? What's going on? It's good. I think Jesus is coming to kick butt and take names. <laughs> I truly believe that. I mean, it, it's like something. You and I. Have... I think the nice guy is is like done. I think he's looking down like you knuckleheads need to shape up and get on with the job. I fully agree with that, and I think that's you and I. I really want to dig into what you and I talked about and have been talking about for some time, which is, <laughs> I want to run away versus. I ain't going. We're fighting. He's saying here and st- fighting. You know what I'm talking about, right? I I got to tell you, I was so vexed. I got a I got a text from a, a buddy of mine that uh, is in a situation where the, the the city is just coming to hammer him, and it's like he's got a whole family of folks to protect and take care of, and it's like I think he ticked off some of the neighbors, so they called the city on him and. And he's just got a whole, whole mess of a problem. And I, I was just done doing the whole common law thing that, you, 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 that we did. And so I was fired up. It's like, hey, we don't have to do this. We don't have to take that. And uh, and so he, he asked me, he asked me the famed wrong question. What, what do you think I should do? Uh, and I said, dude, suit up and fight it. 
it's like you do not have to comply or do anything. It's like you didn't agree to all these statutes and, and laws. It's like we have a constitution. You have rights that came directly from God. And your life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness is one of them. And, and having your property is your own. And, I, and so I, I just I, – I, I went off on that. And it's like at the end of it, I think he said, you know, I think I'm going to just turn it over to God and pray and see what he does. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well. I'll be honest. I got so ticked because I sat there going like, in other words, you're not going to fight. You're not going to do anything. You're going to just turn it over to prayer and you're going to say that the outcome is the, the will of God. And I just, I wrote it back. I said, dude, I love you. It doesn't work that way. It's like, you know, I I, I know what you mean by it. And I think it sounds good. It's, it's nice Christianese, but it's like we were given dominion on this earth and i i sort of feel like we always are trying to give it back it's like a hot potato i don't want it i i want someone to i don't want to be evaluated i don't want to be responsible for it and i'm going like no there's a job that we have to do you know there's a parable that the the, the punchline is occupy until i come and i'm going like i just go like what what are people taught? Why have we developed these run away, um, be very afraid, um, hide and wait for the rapture bus kinds of theologies? I just end up going like, this has got to be frustrating for heaven. Oh, I think so, Brad. I think, I, <laughs> and we've talked about this. And I think what's amazing is how we how we act in our faith. We act in real life. So. You know, I've talked about this so much. You're, you're, you listen to God, and God told you to stay in California. And I listen, yeah. I listen to God, and I move back to Oregon. And I get this all the time. It's like, dude, you're you're in a blue state. I'm like, brother, God wanted me here for a reason, and I'm staying He's here. Called the where, front lines. Exactly, it's where I plant my flag. And yet, we watch this exodus out of these cities, and you, we're reading it in the news. How many people are leaving California, Portland, Seattle? They're leaving. And they're all racing away. And my, my two questions are, one, where are you going? And two, are you going to bring the same disaster that you helped be participant in where you're going next? I mean, those are those are big issues. Well, but it's it's weird. I don't think most of the people fleeing were part of the, the making of the disaster unless you unless you call their participation disengagement. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like if the salt has lost its savor, what good is it? It's 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 the only good it's supposed to have is for throwing out into the the street and being trampled on, and I just go like salt is. I mean, in the day of steak lovers, we think salt is for the purpose of making my steak zestier. It does, by the way. Yeah, it does, and so I love it. It's like be be the salt of the earth, but in the context of what it was given, it had to be encrusted on your food, or your food was going to go rotten. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And so I'm going like, okay, the purpose of salt is to be absolutely rubbed into the very fabric of the culture. Why? So that it doesn't go rotten. If the culture's going rotten, I know one thing. The salt isn't doing its job. Yeah. We're the salt of the earth. We have to be engaged in culture. I have to be where the meat is rotting. Because I have a job, I have a purpose. I mean, the gospel is not called the gospel of salvation. I mean, newsflash, it's called the gospel of the kingdom. Okay? 
I, I missed and the yet, previous news. Flash, all all the church ever did. does is it's raise your hand and let's get saved. I'm going like, okay, and then what? If that's what all, all it was, why doesn't God just like, you know, zip, bang, and, and just I'm I'm in heaven? Why why does he leave us here on earth? And I just I I, I do scratch my head. I mean, I, I, you know, truth in packaging laws. I got myself thrown out of the church. So just in case anyone's afraid that they're listening to Heretics Hour Weekly, yes, you are. Okay. I, I'll I'll wear it proudly. But I got thrown out for challenging the whole thing of why do we just sit here? We're supposed to do stuff. And he gave us he gave us a job to do. And and I end up going like, I don't really want to show up at the end of this and go like, well, you know, I wasn't really sure what to do. You know, I want you to tell a story for me because I don't think you've ever told it on the show. And it ties in right with what you're saying. And it was how you did the offering when you were down at the. Oh, <laughs> Malibu Vineyard yes. Project. I, I just, I guess I, that got you in all sorts of trouble, but I so love what you did. So go ahead and tell oh, the story. Yeah. You know what? I think, I think the way we take up the offering is one of the biggest reason that most people that they go to church ends up going shields up and they just conclude all they want is our money because it's like, you know, frankly, that's not untrue. A fair amount of the folks are wanting to make sure that the church bills get paid. And, you know, I suppose if you go to the country club, you should pay your dues. Okay, but I had a problem doing that. And I'm sitting there going like the church is not a 501c3 tax donation entity. And and, and that's the fullness therein. The church is the people. And I sat there going like, you know, you can give to the church. And if what you want is a tax donation, give to the church and write it out to the formal name of the church. I said, but the church is not that entity. The church is us. So if you know that you have a friend that is in need, it's just as valid to give directly to them as opposed to give it through the entity for which we'll give you a tax donation receipt that you can use on your taxes. But do I know that that person sitting three feet, three people down has a need that needs to be met tonight? No, I don't. And but if you do, why don't you just sort of skip the the the, the crazy, you know, wrong game and just give to them. And so I, I would share that when we would come to offering time. And I said, look, um, I want to make sure that no one here has a need that we don't seek to meet. So we would do the offering time and people would basically in the midst of worship come up and they would just put money in my hands. And I we'd had money up on the stage. And then after the end of worship, I'd, I'd say, you know what, um, is there anybody here that needs something? that we can supply and it, it's going to require some humility for you to kind of, you know, identify yourself. And, you know, if, if you're lying, this is not going to go well for you. Whether you fake us out, you're not going to fake God out, but if you have a need, we're here to meet those needs. And I got to tell you, the offering time became one of the biggest celebratory times because we got far more money just left up on the stage. And then we gave it all away to the people who had need that were there. And I felt like that was such an effective administration of meeting the needs of the church because the focus wasn't on the building and paying the mortgage and the light bill. Now, the board of the church was a little frustrated with me in doing that. And I kind of said, that's fine, but you know what? Which is more important, the building or the people? And ultimately, I got fired. So, you know, I know, I know their answer. 
<laughs> but but I I love taking up offerings. You know, like most of the time, like when I'm a guest speaker someplace, I'll take up some of the biggest offerings and I'll just give the whole thing away. Because I am not a hireling. I don't do this love of Jesus and pursuing him for a paycheck. I realized at one point, I just kind of went, why do I get a paycheck for being a Christian and everyone else has to do it for free? That's really not that empowering to them. And I think, honestly, we have made it the business of religion more than we have the passionate pursuing of Jesus. And I just sort of feel like, wow, we've gotten the focus on the wrong thing. The building is not the bricks and mortar, it's the people. And being the church is more important than going to a meeting. Meetings are great, but what are you trying to accomplish in them? You know, so. No, that's good. That's good. That's how That's how you get bounced out of church. <laughs> just like that. And a few other things. Like, just like that. It's over. It's just over. Hey, so, Brad, you and I talk so much about this, and I want people to hear your view on this tonight. And it's seeking the face of Jesus, getting to know him intimately. And I think this is such a big, important part of what we're all trying to get to tonight. When we don't have a relationship with Christ and we don't have that true connection with God, it's easy to say, take me out of here. I'm running. So I want you to dig into that a little bit because you and I have had so many fantastic conversations about that. I just, you know, I think what's been rolling around in my head, and again, this will probably step on some religious toes, but... You know, this whole phrase that, you know, you know, earth is not my home, you know, heavens, you know, the the world is not my home, heaven's my home. I'm like, really? I mean, I know all the verses that will get you to that notion, but when you really, when you really read about them in context, at the end of all this, God himself is going to come down out of heaven. And he is going to have cleansed the heavens and the earth and made them both new. And then he's going to make his eternal dwelling place here with us. And I just don't get how most Christians are going to like, they just, they can't wait to get out of here. And even, even the zealous ones that are like, well, I'm going to go, you know, out with the blaze of glory. It's like somehow they get excited about like, you know, if I'm doing it and then and, and I get taken out, it's like, no worries, sudden death, sudden glory. And I'm going like, yeah, but if, if it isn't you die game over, you win, it's the game is still going on. And now we have one less effective player on the team advancing the kingdom. And I don't think just dying and going to heaven is the big deal. Especially if heaven is going to come down here. And the whole focus of that is like the, the embodiment of God's name as Emmanuel. I mean, God wants to dwell with us. And we're his dwelling place, which is why I think that brick and mortar gets in the way. And if I realize that, you know, God is passionate for a friendship with me and and intimacy with me, but he's never going to force that. He's only going to be there and take ground as I open the door and welcome him in. And that really should be the primacy of what we're focused on, because without his voice, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to have faith in. I don't know what to believe for. I don't know what to put my hand to. I need his voice to direct me, because otherwise I'm just going to follow a bunch of religious principles and run out of gas. 
Yeah, it's good. It's really good. And that's so true. What are you, how do you tell people when they say, well, how do I seek him? How do I talk to him? How do I build that relationship with him? I usually, if I'm there with them, I, I, I just say, we're both going to talk to God. But you've been talking to me and you've had no trouble doing it. So now we're just going to talk to him in the same way. And if you want to look at me and pretend that like I'm him, talk to him just like you were talking to me. He's a person. He's not an idea. He doesn't live on some far planet in Pluto. He's right here. And I make them do it out loud because I end up going like most of us celebrate about God. And then we get distracted. But when I actually am willing to give breath to my words and I'm going to say them out loud, I have to give intention behind them. I know when what I'm saying is just silly and stupid and I don't really mean it. And then I know when I'm really saying and meaning what I'm saying. And that's how I invite people to start a conversation. And I don't really talk about it as prayer because I'm going like, let's just get to know each other. And the more you get to know him, the more comfortable you're going to be sharing everything with him. And then what's really important is to listen. That is so good. That's that's the hardest part, though, because that's sit, be still, and know that I am God, right? Yeah, but if you've spent time actually talking and picturing as someone that you're talking to, then when you're quiet, it's not all of a sudden the manifest absence of everything. It's like, wait a minute, I've already been talking to someone. And, and it's like, I do, I sort of feel like you have to do that as long as you need and as often as you need so that it becomes comfortable. You know, like when I pray, you know, most people, when they listen to me pray, they end up going like, wow, it's like so normal. And it's not religious. And I get in trouble. You know, it's like, hey, Jesus. I mean, I get in trouble for that. And it's like, okay, no, no, no worries. I know. Someone even admonished you on my show once. For that. I, I know. I know. But but it's like, I. that's how I talk to my friends. When you call, I say, hey, Scott. Right. Hey, amigo. I mean, it's like, oh, you're not being reverent enough. Well, I, it's Scott. <laughs> it, it's my friend. I, I, I'm not going to pretend like I don't know him. And I, I think that's probably the most important thing. You know, like when people say, you know, the group that stands in front of him at the end of their life and said, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all this? He never once suggested, no, you didn't do all that. What he said is, depart from me. I never knew you. Well, how does an omniscient God not know you? Well, no, he does know you. But what he doesn't have is the intimacy of the knowing because of relationship. You know, we, we did one of these things in the shack where it's like, you know, the Trinity is sitting around the dinner table with Mac and they're, they're asking him questions about his kids. And he stops for a second. He says, but don't you already know all this? And it's like, yeah, we, we, we do. But we love listening to you tell us about them. And it's they're limiting themselves right now to that moment of here and now that's real. And I got to tell you, most people live in theoretical Christianity. They, they, they think about God and they think about the things that they need to do and they worry about the things that are concerning to them. But worrying about them is not the same thing as praying and listening and then doing what he says to do. 
That's effectual. But the worrying about it is not. And I think a lot of people don't realize that's not prayer. That's worry. That's good. That's the truth. It, It takes us away from the intimacy with him very much. And it doesn't take us into the place of authorities, which I want you to dig into here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when when I look at this whole bit of, you know, hey, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to give it to God and see what he says. It's like, you know what? I can't do anything apart from God. I can't. I don't, I'm not going to bear any fruit. I, 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 I might be smart, might be hardworking, might be industrious. There's a lot of things I can do. I've done a lot of things, and they don't amount to much unless they're done with him by his power and in obedience to him. I mean, I don't want to spend my entire life life making the best apple pie for God only to get there to find out he doesn't like apple pie. (laughs) That's That's going to suck. That's kind of the David in the temple moment. Yeah, it's like, wait a minute. It's like David wants to build him a temple, and God says, no thanks. I didn't ask for one. And then I'll be honest, this is this gets me into a lot of trouble because I ask most every pastor I ever meet is I ask them that question. It's like, do you is that important having one? Because God didn't want it. It wasn't his idea. And yet, wow, most everything we do is temple centric. Our whole notion of being a part of the church really is always tied to being at the meeting kind of thing. And I just go like. I've been that professional dude. I've been the band you know, leader. And I just kind of like, it's not it. This actually gets a bit in the way. God never wanted priests. We, we did. God never wanted kings. We did. God didn't want temples. We did. And I just go like, wow. So when most of our understanding of Christianity involves leaders, priests, and temples— I just go like, did you not read the book and did you not hear him say, I don't want that? He he acquiesced to it. Why? Because he loves us so darn much, he's going to meet us wherever we are. That's that's the great takeaway. I'm not dinging people about it, but that's not what he wants. That's not what's important. What he absolutely wants is you. I want to go there deeper and it follows from a lot of conversations we've had and even my own journey. And as I was sharing with you today, just the transformation that I've experienced in the last eight weeks post Bart's Fest and how he has taken me into this unbelievably deep compassion and space of truly loving and forgiving heart. And I, I gave you the example today. I just want to use this and just kind of let you go wherever you want to go with this. But in a process over the last few years, and I'm going to use Tucker Carlson specifically. I mean, he, he's worn that red Kabbalah thing on his arm all the time, and there's all sorts of strange things. And yet, and it, it literally brought me to tears, literally. He opened on his show the other day, he opened up scripture, he reads scripture, and he says, this is not about politics. This is a spiritual war. And I don't care I can just say that those words had so much Holy Spirit truth in them. And that's, I mean, I, that's my gauge is when I start welling up in tears, I don't care who it is. There's some sort of greatness in the Holy Spirit that's coming through those words. And we're seeing this happening. It's, it's, I'm seeing it happening everywhere. People percolating up, 
things that they're saying that are just they're they're so deeply passionate for the 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 pursuit of love would be the right way of putting it, and they may not frame it perfectly to say that you know, I'm I'm speaking Christianese or appropriate words. There's a there's a bluegrass singer that's just jumped on scene, and I can't think of his name right now, but he just did his first song. And the guy just talks about just the ruddy reality of what's going on up in West Virginia and Virginia in the coal area. Man, mm. I was in, and he's, he had an interview last night and it was just simple. He's pretty, he's very humble. And he just talked about how, you know, I'm just so, I just can't fathom how we can do this to children. And so he doesn't even really talk a lot about the children, but it's in the, it's in the fabric of what is coming through him. And it's just mm. so deeply passionate. And, you know, it's not like you, it's not like you play that music in church and yet I would play it in church because it's so real and so touching and it's so moving. Just, I'm going to let you go with that because I just find it an amazing moment we're in. Yeah. You know, the last three years, there's been a lot of things to get your knickers in and not about. I mean, there's a lot of things to just be all bothered. And at moments when I've been all bothered, God has kind of, you know, come and sat near me and kind of said, so you're upset. <laughs> Just go like, thanks. <laughs> Why do I feel like that's not now valid? <laughs> and and you just go like, okay, so how do I know this is not me? I would not do that to me. I wouldn't. He shows up in ways that I'm just going like, okay, so you're shifting the way I'm seeing this. And you're trying to help me not be bothered. But I'm bothered, I thought, on your behalf. And he kind of then slices that a little bit like, well, kind of not really, but you're not seeing it like I am. And it's like, well, then guess what? I won't be able to unless you don't show me. So you have to show me. So help me. And I felt like God has has kind of framed the last three years as a purposeful test from heaven and he said it's happening to every single human being on the earth and it's revealing two things in whom and what they actually put their trust and when i sat there and looked at that i kind of went dang there's not as many villains to put the blame on when you frame it that way, because God is using it all to bring forth a thing called reality. Until it gets tested, you don't really know if you got the right answer. Until, until the building inspector comes and tests what you've been doing with your life, you don't really know if it passes the inspection. And, and so when we look at the word judgment, it's like I used to think like, oh, that's all about punishment and retribution and, you know, God's going to get the bad guys. And I've come to see it differently. Like I need it. I need it regularly. I, I need to want to ask for it as much as I might be frightened of it. I need it. And I need the judge to come and judge me, not punish me. Not discourage me, not to tear down everything I've been doing. But if what I've been doing is not going to stand, I'd sooner know it now 
then waste all the time of continued effort on something that won't work. Because it says in Hebrews, it says that yet once more, God is going to shake everything. And, and the question is, why? And he reframed it in a way that he says, this is a good thing, not a bad thing. You don't need to fear this. I'm going to shake everything. And as uncomfortable as that will be, the things that cannot be shaken will remain. And all the things that can be shaken are going to be removed. I don't want to be part of the debris. I don't want to be what gets removed. I want to have God shake everything around me. And he has. I mean, and it hasn't been comfortable. And it's it's been costly. But man, the things that remain, I can build on. The things that remain are unshakable and I get confidence from. And it it it, it I, I get simplicity and clarity. I have less things to attend to because they got shook. And then I look at it going like, you're not here to harm me. You're trying to get me to live according to what Hebrews talks about, the power of an indestructible life. That's outrageous. When was the last time you told that you heard Christianity was that? Learning to live by the power of an indestructible life. That's profound. Brad, where do, where do you think we went astray on this thing to where the, we get the preaching that we're not worthy, we're going to hell, and we're sinners, and it's, we really are left with such a, a devaluing message from the pulpit and such a disempowering message of basically you're just refuge, and if you accept Christ, you just should be happy that he does. he just sweeps you up and kind of throws you in the dustbin and lets you go to heaven. I mean, unfortunately, this is really a very per pervasive message from a pulpit. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I don't have a simple answer that says this is why that happened, other than I think most people haven't been converted to a person. They have been threatened with hell, and they've bought some form of fire insurance and the promise that they'll they'll be okay. And I'm going like, okay, you can get someone to raise your hand on that deal. I mean, why not? But that's not the same thing as meeting a person and then walking out a relationship. That's sort of a fear-based conversion that's promising something in the future. But I mean, I was, I was talking with a friend who, who remembers me saying this 20 years ago, and I'm going like, wow, that must be a good thing that I said. What was it? <laughs> And it's like they said, you define that, you know, eternal life is not length of days. It's the knowledge of the eternal one. And I went, yeah, that's good. <laughs> and, and the truth is, is we want eternal life. But I'm sitting there going like, I think most people think that that's uh, live forever. And I'm going like, but what if it's the life of the eternal one? This is eternal life, John. I think it's John 7, 17. This is eternal life that you may know him. That, that, that totally redefines what eternal life is. Oh, my goodness. Yes, it does. You know, and it's like, what? how do you know if you have it? Do you have to die and then find out? That's going to suck. Because what if you don't? Too late. 
<laughs> I want to know that I know, and the way that I know is his life is actually dwelling in me. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You mean you can know that? Yes. Yeah, I mean, when, when you look at the life of Paul, he wrote in Romans, he says, you know, man, who's going to deliver me from this wretched body of death? The good that I want to do, I don't find myself doing. And the very bad that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And he says, it's not me, it's sin that dwells in me. He personifies it as an, a foreign invader. And he's wondering, who's going to deliver me from that? Well, the answer is Jesus. And then later, he writes other letters that he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm like, that's a different guy. Something changed from, I can't do anything that I want to do, and I find myself doing all the stuff I don't want to do, and that's an honest guy. And then later, this guy says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you just go like, that's extraordinary. What happened? He met a someone that is now dwelling in him. And he says, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And I'm going like, he's living by the power of something different than just human. He's doing it, but he's doing it according to a different power. That's that indestructible life that's come alive on the inside. And I don't think most people know the difference between soul and spirit. Well, let's do it. I mean, I think I think we use those words interchangeably, and I I don't I don't need to ding anybody for it, but my soul is my mind, my will, and my emotions. It's the seat of the human personality. It's what I think, how I feel, and my chooser. And it says that that life can be characterized as the flesh. That's the stuff that seems to have snares in it, that the enemy can put hooks in and then yank my chain. And, and if I'm walking in the flesh, in my soul, I'm going to end up falling into sin and doing the things that the hooks are pulling me to do. And we're, we're told that if we walk in and by the Spirit, we're going to live according to the things of life. And I end up going like, wow, what's the difference? How do I know? And I need a spiritual encounter with the living God to start having a frame of reference. I'm a, I'm not a scientist guy, but I'm a very practical guy. I'm not like sort of, you know, feely, whatever. It's more like, how does it really work? I, I ask the questions of how, and I'm not satisfied until I can actually figure out how it works. And I sat there going like, God, I need to be able to learn the difference between soul and spirit. And he said, well, the, the, the Bible's very helpful for that. This is the word of God is a sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide between soul and spirit. And I went, no way. I'm going to start using that tool a little bit. And so the more I become familiar with that, the more I start to recognize his thinking versus my thinking. David said that thy word had I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. And I'm going like, well, when did you hide what word in your heart? You know, your, your conscience, that's a, that's a human reasoning thing. You don't have to be saved to have a conscience. But your conscience doesn't show up completely, you know, written on and, and totally in sync with, with God. You have to write on your heart with I agree statements 
that are according to truth in the word of God. When I've done that, I'm instructing my conscience. And then it has a keeping capacity that when I start to get tempted towards something, it usually raises a little white flag saying, you know, danger, Will Robinson, you're going someplace and you know, and it fills in the blank of the scripture verse that I've written there. And it starts to bring conviction. And truth and packaging, sometimes I go like, shove it. I'm not interested. I really want to do that. <laughs> and then I, and then I pay for it. You know, it's not as if sin doesn't seduce you and and, and, and confuse you. And yeah, it, it, it has a moment, but I'm just going like, that moment is so small of anything of value. And and the, the the suck factor on the backside of your sin is it's a lot larger, a lot more not a lot more costly. And I'm just going like, I don't want to do that. And so the more I get to know the living God, and then the more I start to say, Hey God, I don't want my soul in charge. I've got a really good brain, but it had it, it can't even remotely compare to revelation that's released into my spirit. You know, I'm an out loud processor. So there's a lot of times that sometimes I'll say stuff and I'm going like, wow, that was really good. I know that came more from a function of my spirit than it did from the reasoning of my brain. Because mm -hmm. the first time I ever heard it was after it went out my mouth and came back in my ear. And I went, wow, that's just true. That's a function of the spirit. And I'm going like, I want to flow in that river more than I do in all the things that I think I know. Because I don't know about you, but in the last three years, I've learned a lot of things that I thought I know were not true. <laughs> I mean, a whole bunch. Yes. And so I'm going like, you know, I don't know how you know what's true anymore, just deducing it with a smart brain. I can critically think, but if you have wrong facts, that doesn't, that doesn't, you just critically think with wrong facts. I really need help from the Holy Spirit to bear witness to what is true. And that's not if it feels good for me. That's a different function. I don't want my my emotions, you know, being the arbiter of what's true or not. It says the heart is deceitfully wicked. And, 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 the, and the wicked part's not the problem. It's the deceitful. It can fake you out. I on myself have supernatural powers of rationalization and can come to all kinds of conclusions that don't line up with God. I think most, most human beings have supernatural powers. Like that. I need the word of God married to the spirit that it says dwells in me. And it's like, okay, did you get that when you raised your hand? Do you know that you have that? Because if not, then simply ask for it. I, I'm, not, I'm not wanting to leg sweep anyone's sense of salvation, but it's like, I don't really care about your eternal destiny. I want to know your kingdom relevance now. Is the Holy Spirit alive in you? Are you growing in that? Are you becoming more aware of those functions? Because they're different than our natural senses. It's different than just my brain and my willpower. It's like be, being able to recognize that makes all the difference between a frustrated version of religion and a life-giving expression of the adventure of Christianity. Let me. I mean, that's extraordinary. It is, and it's a beautiful way you put it. I want to, I want to kind of put this into context of the, kind of the influences of a material culture because I think there's something here you just said is pretty profound. We've grown up in this culture now where we keep sticking pennies aside in investments accounts in hopes 
that that will grow to something that we're not going to touch and have little control over because if it's a 401k, if it's an IRA, it's at the mercy of the hands of the great gods of investment management. And we just hope that when we arrive at that outward point somewhere, that it will be there waiting for us so that we could live our life happily ever after. And for all these years of toil, that, that we can now enjoy the wealth that we have and we're too old to do anything, but we like to tell ourselves it's going to be good. Versus the person that actively is taking their money and, for example, putting it into their business, putting it into their farm, spending time with their family, taking trips, enjoying this place. But as they do this, their investment is in the richness of life and the things that they can produce by hand with their hands and the, the growth that they can make around them. Essentially, those two, that's, those two examples fit in with what you're saying here. And I, I wonder how much in this kind of, and I, I've talked a lot, so much about this, about this, I'm waiting till the end of my life to, <laughs> I, it always drives me crazy. I'm saving, 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 working, 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 hating my job for years so that at a certain point out there, I can latch onto this great retirement that's supposed to last me and, and forgetting that there's no guarantees in between them. And equally, you're toiling to in a miserable place many times, not all, to arrive at a place that you have no guarantee on. And it seems like that has been replicated even in our pulpit. Well, I mean, work is something that ought to be done with purpose in response to the sense of calling and why I'm here on the earth. And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of my father. If, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're responding to that call of God on your life, whatever it is, God has uniquely gifted you for it. He's never going to ask you something. He's never going to ask you to do something that he will not equip and enable you to do. So if what you're doing is constantly just destroying all the life and energy in you, chances are something's wrong. You know, you could be being opposed by the enemy and all that other stuff, but chances are you're not using your weapons. And and I don't think life is full of rainbows and puppy dogs. I mean, my gosh, I this thing's hard. Unless you're I mean, the Christian life is not just hard; it's impossible to live without the one who's going to empower you to live it. And and so I, I I look at this and it's like, are you just working for that thing called safety that you think is found in a bank balance? And it's like it's not. But if you if you've never found the security. In knowing how deeply loved you are by the living God, where I'm not just talking, you're confessing it to yourself. You've actually experientially tapped into the emotional dynamic of going like, wait a minute, those words, I love you, have exploded with reality inside. I got to tell you, when I know I'm loved, I'm not afraid of anything because I realize I am the focus of his affection I realize he's there, and it's like God with me is incredible. You know, it's like, and he promised. He said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. It's a triple negative. It's like that's that's a pretty profound promise. God doesn't leave me. I get distracted, and I don't see him. 
I'm the guy that leaves him, but he hasn't left me. He's 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 right there. And the moment I turn right back to him, he's not like me. I would if I ignored me all day, and like and then the guy finally turned to me. I was like, out of here, you know. God's not like that. I can ignore him all day, and the moment I turn to him, he's like, hey, I love you. And he means it. It's not like it's it's because he knows if that's not the gas in my tank, nothing else will work. We love because he first loved us. And so, you know, I just go like that has to be a revelation. Paul prayed in, in Ephesians. It's a powerful prayer. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be open, that you would know the length, the breadth, the height, the depth of the love of God. Well, how much? Well, that it would fill you up to the fullness of all the Godhead bodily. That's a lot. And he's praying for a revelation of that. And I'm going like, why? Because he knows you can't really do any of this and any kingdom advancing value if it's not fueled by love. You know, you can be the angry guy that's out there, you know, killing Christians like he was. And he and he, he thought he was serving God only till God stopped him. And kind of said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it's like, he knew the difference. The zeal of human passion is not the same thing as when that's fired by the very throne of God. And we need those defining moments. I mean, I, I am, I get, I get bummed when people are just emotional because, but, but I, I'm equally bummed when Christians want to just throw out your emotions. I'm like, God gave them to you for a reason. Not to trip you up or for you to ignore them, but for you to have them healed, restored, and then aligned with him. You know, it's like prayers. If I look at a sickest person, but I have no unction of compassion that actually moves me to prayer, my prayer is going to feel like a rubber ball that just bounces off the ceiling and comes right back at me. But when it has compassion, it seems to break open the heavens and it brings the resources of the heavens down right here to where it's hurting. And I can't do that if I can't feel. It says Jesus moved with compassion. And I'm going like, where are those people? Because those people will see miracles unfolding because faith works through love. It's not just, I believe real hard. I mean, I love it when I, when I can listen to you and, you know, I have some context of you over the last couple of years. And I, you know, it's like I used to listen to you at the beginning and it's like, wow, why is he so angry? You know, and now I listen to you and, and, and your heart's broken open and you're not just words. You're not just faking that. It's like you have become tenderized by the presence of God because he's a someone that you've gotten to know deeper. Yes. But that's happened because every day of intention. You know, grass does not grow under Scott's butt. It's like <laughs> you you are not sitting around. That's true. You, right. you, you you're very intentional. And and we have some wonderfully heated discussions at times where we're not seeing it the same way. And I love it because you don't just pout and leave. You fight through to 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 a place of understanding and Sometimes I'm wrong, and sometimes you, you, you've you helped me see it. Sometimes you're wrong, and I've been persistent enough to go like, I don't care how scary you are. You're still wrong. <laughs> you know? But but 
that doesn't happen without that intention. And I'm going, I, I think you pursue God with the same way. You know, sometimes you go after him and it's like, you're going to just kick everyone into hell. And I'm just going, like, well, I smile at Jesus, go like, you got to work on him with that. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm going like, Jesus didn't walk around on earth just looking to kick everyone in the hole. And yeah, it's true. That's true. You know, so, so I mean, but at the same time, you're like a Jehu in a day of Jezebel. And it's like, you're going to pull her down and bring her to justice. And I'm going like, thank God that we have someone that has righteous indignation that's directly focused on that's wrong, that's evil, that must stop. And you're a warrior, and that's how God made you. But it's not an either or, it's a both and. That's so good right there, yeah. Yeah, I think we forget that. We get caught in this, and I, I'm just using my wording, you know, it's just, we get caught in this compliance stream where it's just this like, be this way only. It, it's it's this thing of different ways I've put it, love at any cost, peace at any cost. Um, and we just, we kind of whitewash some of the big, big messages in scripture. It, it, it's, and one of those, which I we've talked about a lot and is in the flipping of tables. I mean, that is a such a profound moment. And we kind of like the Jesus flip tables. It's like, yeah, <laughs> for the guy that, loves so much and to see the the stature of a man that could flip those types of tables and the intensity that that brings including a whipping people and as well that is that's that that not either or but both right yeah you you got to look at the fact that you know out of the purity of your heart really will come that lion-hearted you know courageous roar against evil that just says that's wrong that will stop he didn't just crack that whip above their heads i know it hit flesh and it wasn't indiscriminate i think he went after that rascal and i think he did it with total intention and and i don't think he was just in a fit of anger it's like no zeal for god's house consumed him and he said, you've made it a den of robbers. And, and that outer court where they're transacting things, that's where you're supposed to have the people of the world that are just checking it out. This is totally defiling any understanding of what's going on inside. And he says, you're destroying my father's house. This is nothing of my father. You've made merchandise of this for your own sordid gain this isn't displaying god's heart for people this is the biggest offense that's that's where i kind of went you know what i think we do that with the darn offering that's why i started changing it i'm going like i i'm pretty sure god doesn't care a rat's ass about the the tax deduction i'm i i don't think god cares a lick about that i think he's going like you know what i care about hurting people and are we helping them do you have the capacity? Are you willing to loan to a poor man? Because it says, if you lend to the poor, you're giving to God and he will repay. I mean, it's, it's, it's like God's kind of saying, guess what? I don't have a dollar up in heaven. You have one in your pocket. I need you to pull it out of your pocket and give it to that guy. And if you do, guess what? I'll consider it you loaned to me and I'll repay you. Promise. 
And most of us are not sitting there wondering at the stop sign, well, is this really the right moment? It's like most of us are looking the other way, not wanting to deal with that moment. And I'm sitting there going like, what if you just decided to display the goodness of God and, and you were not stingy about it? What if you just were outrageous about it? And you're saying, God, as an act of worship, I'm going to demonstrate that your kingdom is full of resources. I'm not going to live in a world of miserly scarcity and fear. And if I have the means to do good, I will not withhold it. What if what if what if the church was known for that? What a transformation that would be, wouldn't it? Yeah. And you're just going like it's not known for that. But what if it was? Why? Because it knew who its father was. You know, I, I don't think most of us do. I, I, it took me being bounced out of the church and had the paycheck removed and having no safety net for me to actually recognize, oh, I guess I don't really trust in God. I trusted in a religious paycheck that came regularly. And I didn't know the difference until it was removed. And once it was removed, it was like, what white knuckling life and i'm going like oh no what do i do how do i pay the mortgage how do i feed my family how do i do whatever i got no money i live in southern california and i live in an expensive place in southern california and i got a massive debt of a mortgage and i got nothing of a paycheck anymore and then they never reported my wages that was wrong and part of the you know bad in, bad administration and 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 so i got no welfare i got no safety net got nothing and it's like oh no I guess we've come now to trust in Jesus and obey for there's no other way. It's like, oh, no. And it's like, that was the best moment of my transformation because it all of a sudden became real. One of the first dreams I ever had, the punchline was, Brad, if you're going to serve me, yeah, you got to trust me. And I'm going like, you wouldn't be telling me that if I did. And so I'm now realizing I don't trust you. I celebrate you. I, I know you love me, but I don't actually know that you'll provide for me. So he allowed me to go through the experiences of having nowhere to turn but him. And wow, did that ever transform me now to a place where I'm going like, wow, you are my provider. I'm not going to hint to others that I need this or I need that. It's like, I'm going to go to you. And you're going to somehow talk to me in some way, shape, or form that whether there's an opportunity for me to work hard or whether there's a relationship that, that you're bringing along, I'm going to let you provide for me. I'm not going to look to others to provide for me. I'm not going to hang out my shingle and then look for donations and love offerings. It's like, no, I'm not doing any of that. I'm going to learn what it is for you to be my father. And you've got to win me to a place of confidence in this. And, and the, the awesome thing is I went from zero of trusting to now it's like, you know what? He'll he'll provide. You're aware of some of the things I, I have to do. And I'm just going like, I got flat out no capacity to do them. I'm still moving forward. I'm still planning as if all of that's going to be taken care of. I am not deceiving anyone in the process, but I don't have all the things that are required to make those things work. And I'm going like, okay, fine that's where I need to go. God has sent me. How's he going to provide? I don't know. But I'm going to walk forward because that's the only direction that I know to do. And somewhere between now and when it's needed, he'll provide. And that's not irresponsible. 
because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not asking anybody else to be on that train. I'm going to carry all the water and he's going to supply it. And it's, and then if it doesn't, then guess what? Then it won't happen. And I'm not going to be the one who's upset about it. I'll simply go like, guess what? If you wanted that to happen, you needed to supply that because I did all the other pieces you gave me. Unless you're going to ding me and show me that I didn't do something, I'm not going to carry the, the anxiety or the worry or the guilt because the results aren't up to me. Not if I've been walking in obedience and, and drawing from him the resource to make it happen. There's a timing. There, there might be someone else's disobedience that's the issue. That has nothing to do with me. It may have everything to do with something happening, but it may not be up to me. And so I just have to wait. It says through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. I don't think anyone likes that. It's not on any refrigerator. I don't know anyone who pay, who prays for patience, but but it's profound. It's really important. And I found myself totally at rest when everyone else is anxious about it. I'm going like, nothing I can do. That's good. Really good. Let's dig into a little bit of, because we've talked about this before. I think it's such an important concept. Praise and worship. Oh, yeah, I, I forget what was that led us to that, but I asked you that question. It's like what it was, and you were like a thousand other people who asked the same question. It's like at the end of the day, we go like, mm, I have no idea, to be honest, right. what that is. It's like we have these religious words, and I'm going like, they're powerful, but not when we don't understand them. And it's like the word worship, it's, it's crazy. As we all think it has, it's probably singing because that's what we do. It's like in church when we go to meetings and it's worship time, it's usually songs and singing. And I'm going like, yeah, that's great. And and that might be worship. But the very first time it was used in the Bible was when Abraham was going up the mountain with Isaac. And they were going to go to worship the Lord. In a day in which you kind of go like child sacrifice is the norm for the religions of the day and it's all evil. How in the world is Abraham walking up that hill knowing that he's been asked to sacrifice his son? And his son is actually old enough to object. And it's not as if the son is not going to understand that somewhere up the hill that uh, we got all the implements for sacrifice, but we don't got the thing we're going to kill. And when he makes the altar and then it's time to lay his own son... Please, it's not as if Isaac wasn't physically capable of resisting. And you're going like, wow, that's the first time in all of the Bible that the word worship is used. Nobody had a guitar. Nobody was singing anything. And, and so what, is, what does worship mean? Worship means to give to God all that I am, all that I hope for, and hold nothing back. That's that's worship. A lot of people go to church and they sing songs, and they don't really think about the words they're singing. And if it's hymns and it's old things, it's just they kind of stand there. And I'm going like, that's not the same thing as giving God all you are 
and considering him the highest value of everything and nothing that you have is worth withholding from him. Even when you don't understand why he's asking for it. I just go like, wow, that's worship. That's incredible. Here's what Paul turns it into, Romans 12. He says, therefore, in light of the mercies of God, do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might know the good, the pleasing, and the perfect will of God, and that you might present yourselves to him as a living sacrifice that is your reasonable, not extraordinary, reasonable act of worship. And I just go like, you're asking people to be the sacrifice on the altar. That's what you're saying. And you're saying it to everybody at a day that knew exactly what that meant. But as opposed to a dead sacrifice, you're saying, I want that life to be a living one. And he doesn't say that, wow, you get lots of bonus points for that. He says that's your reasonable act of worship. And I just go like, whoa. That's a high, that's like pole vaulting for most people. And Paul's saying, no, it's like normal Christianity. Why? It's prefaced in light of the mercies of God. If you knew the mercy that he was bestowing, this would be a natural response. So, so when I when I find a group of people that struggles to turn over the leadership of their life to the living God, I know something. They're deficient in understanding the mercy that's extended to them. Because if they knew that, that would be the natural response. Those who are forgiven much, love much. Wow. That's good. It's very good. All right. Let's kind of wrap this up with some wisdom. Okay. We got a crazy world. And I just want you to give some thoughts on this chaos, this craziness, all this uncertainty. And 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 I, I want them to hear how you walk because pretty much other than the fact we talk about some of these lunatics and sometimes I'm ready to sink them and sometimes we're laughing at it, but you are a bright soul. You literally, you you are always looking at that way going forward and you maintain that. And I, I just want you to express that and share some of that wisdom. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, especially when everyone gets all anxious about the end times and whether we're in them or not. I end up going like, you know, bummer the way we have been popularly taught about a lot of things because this is referred to the end times is an epoch. And how long is an epoch? I have no idea, but we're in one. And it's not just a few days and it's not just a, a you know, a little moment of stuff. It's an unfolding season of time. And it's called the great and the terrible day of the Lord. And you just go like, okay, I wish it was called the great day of the Lord. I don't like the terrible part, but it's both. And it's like, Okay, well, who's it great for and who's it terrible for? 
it's great for the folks who are on the side of righteousness and are walking in the light because the light is getting ever the brighter. The pathway of the light of the righteous becomes like the bright noon sun. It's like it becomes ever the brighter. The pathway for the, you know, the cockroach evildoer bad guys, it's getting scarier and scarier. And they're coming closer to a day of, of, of not good for them. And so they're freaking out. And it's like, guess what? Who's going to win this one, really? Well, if you look at the great day of the Lord, the great terrible day of the Lord, all of the minor prophets talk about it, as well as John in the book of Revelation. And they're all prophesying about the same thing. It starts in darkness, and it looks like the darkness all of a sudden is overtaking, and it's going to over engulf everything. But then the light starts to shine. And the light never stops shining. It shines ever the brighter and it totally consumes the darkness. That's called the great and the terrible day of the Lord. That's about as sure as my next breath and the sun coming up that are both coming from the hand of God. And so you just go like, wait a minute. I'm with him. I am not trying to get away from him. I'm not running from him. I'm not frightened of him. I am frightened of walking outside of his defined boundaries. That I am frightened with because there's consequences for doing that. But if I'm dwelling close and I have made him my magnificent obsession, there's a group of people in the book of Revelation, they don't get killed, they don't get martyred, they they make it through the entire time. They're the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. They can sing his song and they make it all the way to the, the, the winning sort of little place called the the bridal, um, it's the marriage supper of the lamb. And they're part of that bridal company. Why? Because they, they love Jesus more than anything else ever out there. And it's like the folks that don't, they're not going to be part of the bride. That doesn't mean you're not going to be in heaven, but Jesus is going to marry someone that's absolutely in love with him. And guess what? He is not going to let the evil bad guy beat up his bride. He's going to protect her. He's going to be with her. He's going to allow her to go through stuff because she's going to be trained to rule and reign the universe with him. She's going to be a, a, a badass woman with boots and able to kick butt and take names. She's going to learn how to do all things such as he did. And she's going to walk in that same power and she's going to know that he's the one who's with her. And so when I look at the end times, I'm going like, bring it. This is this is evaluation day. I want to be a part of that company of people. My sp expressed purpose on this earth is to help the rest of the community understand the invitation and then equip them to say yes and become part of that. I'm supposed to help prepare and make the bride ready. And so I, my life is focused on that. Do I, do I see a losing category where the devil wins? No, I don't. Do I see a, a world that is full of chaos and difficulty? Yes. We're told that. We're promised that. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. And that word trouble is bone-crushing opposition. Well, no one says, oh, thank you. But he says, be of good cheer. Why? Because I've already overcome the world. And so it's like, well, 
you know, the whole notion we were, we were poking fun at this, where it says, you know, this world is not my home. Heaven is my home. And I'm going like, you know where that came from? That came from a paraphrase verse of the Bible. That didn't come from an actual, here's the real words of the translation. That's a paraphrase. And sadly, people go, well, earth isn't my home. No, no. The world and its system is not your home. The earth is, because the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. And the kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. And heaven is not my home, a city that he is building and making that's going to come back here is what he's talking about. So we don't have a lasting city in the world system. We do have an eternal city in the kingdom system. And I'm going like, the stuff that gets removed is the stuff that's shakable. Well, I'm not going to be on that boat. I'm not going to be one of those people. Why? Because I am fully in love with him and he's going to transform me. It's not because I'm going to be better. I'm going to try harder or I'm going to be more intentional. It's like, no, I'm going to yield more and ask for greater grace. I'm not, I am, I, I am, I am wicked smart. That's not what I trust in. I trust in his revelation and his word. And so when I look at this stuff, I'm going like, why is everyone trying to escape? Why do we think it's going to get dark and dark and dark, and then we're just going to be snatched out of here? I'm just going like, you know, those guys on the football team, I wish they'd never been on the team. It's like, if you're not going to actually play, you're helping the enemy. You're going to get in the way. So I hope the rapture does rapture you. But the, for the rest of us, I I really hope we kind of go like, God is not limited by many or few to save. He just needs one to stand and to stand there for. And then that human will, he gets to express dominion through. And it's not because that guy's great or, or that girl's great. It's because they're available. And then he's working with them to establish his kingdom. And so when Jesus says, be of good cheer because I've already overcome. I'm going like, well, then, okay, I can laugh. I can have fun. I can do this. And I don't have to be frightened because he's not left me alone. And he's not expecting me to do it for him. It's to do it with him. So that's kind of why when I look at this, I'm going like, this isn't bad. You know, the whole shaking of the earth, as uncomfortable as that is, it's necessary it's not like punitive. It's necessary. Why? Because there's no other way for us to receive an unshakable gift of his kingdom unless he shakes all the other stuff that's in the way. Absolutely true. Now, I didn't I didn't figure that out because I'm so optimistic. It was I was down and depressed and Jesus said, well, you know, can, you might want to look at it this way. And I'm like, wow, I might want I do want to look at it that way. That changes everything. So that's that's where I really do. It's like, do I have difficult days? Just ask my family. Yeah, I do. But every day is a chance for me to become an overcomer and get. I mean, I I, I don't know if we talked about this before on on the podcast, but the whole Enoch and Elijah thing. Did we ever talk about that? No. Go ahead. As weird as this may sound for a few, it's so profound. It's like one of the most important things that's ever changed me. I had a buddy that had this encounter where it was he was taken to heaven and he met Enoch. 
you know, the guy in the Bible that, you know, and Enoch walked with God and he was not. It's like for 300 years, he walks with God. He said Enoch was the most joyful personality he had ever encountered. The guy just was effervescent with life. You just wanted to be in his presence and you just wanted to listen to whatever he said. And just his demeanor just brought life. And it's like, wow. And then later in this experience, he met Elijah, you know, the greatest prophet of power in the Old Testament, the only other guy that just was caught up and didn't die. And yet Elijah was kind of a little bit, yeah, a little intimidating, a little bit stern, kind of more of a severe personality that you were sort of a little uncomfortable about, like you weren't sure if you're doing everything right. And, and it's like, he's thinking in his head, like, wait a minute, if both of these people are in the presence of God, why is Enoch the way he is? And why is Elijah the way he is? And he finally had the courage to ask Elijah, like that question, where it's like, that's pretty ballsy. It's like, Enoch, how come you're not, or Elijah, how come you're not like Enoch? Elijah was not offended in the least. His, his, his response was, that's, that's a wonderful observation. The reality was Enoch lived in a more terrible, difficult, dark day than I did. And he made the most of every opportunity and allowed God to transform him. He said, I did not give God the same access to my life. And I allowed bitterness and different elements to, to remain. And the punchline of this whole thing is who you become in this life is who you are going to be for eternity. It's huge. And, and I sat there going like, is that true? Because nobody in church ever told me that. And I sat there going like, no way. And I, I have I have searched this out for the last 15 years, and I can't find anything in the scripture that would decry that and, and, and contradict that. I'm going like, you know what? As one star differs from another in glory, so, so shall we in the resurrection. Who we become in this life determines our, our, our rank, our privilege, what we're released to with responsibility and the, the, the joys and the pleasures. There's there's five wise and five foolish virgins, and the five foolish are not sent to hell, but they don't get the party and then the privilege and the rewards that the, the wise ones do. There's the judgment seat of Christ where he evaluates my entire life and everything that I've thought, you know, said and done, all of that gets evaluated. And if it burns, you don't get a reward. If it remains, you are rewarded. And so it's like, wow, that's not the way the gospel's often preached. And I sat there going like, if that's true, then every difficulty that I encounter, I can turn into gold, silver, and precious stones of my transformation because who I become in this life will be who I'm. It's like what you do in this life echoes in the halls of eternity. And I'm going like, I want every day, everything that's going on to change me. And make me more like Jesus. And that can happen through good things. And that can happen through bitter, terrible, hard things. It says Jesus was perfected through the things in which he suffered. I don't, I don't want suffering. But I'm not going to waste my sorrows or suffering. I'm going to use everything to my transformation. And if that's what's important, then it really doesn't matter the circumstances I find myself in. 
I don't have to keep praying for, you know, better, easier, more comfortable because that's not going to change me. You know, it, it, it's like people that do good to you. It's easy to love them. How about loving your enemies? How about loving those who are unkind? How about loving the folks that are persecuting you? That's a different, that requires a different transformation. Bring it. Because that will be my eternal good. So. That's very good. Very I, I, don't, I don't I don't know if that's wisdom, but it's thoughts. <laughs> well, we'll call it wisdom. Why don't you close, okay. why don't you close us out with a prayer tonight? Okay. Hey, Jesus, in this volume of words, I hope that you will cause the power of the Holy Spirit to give to each and every person listening what it is that they need today. Only you know how to do that. And God, you will be faithful to do that. So do not let the seeds be stolen. Let them find hearts of fertile soil that will take them in. And then God, I ask that you water them and empower them to grow. And I, I pray that every single person that hears this shifts in the way that they look at, at the chaos, the difficulty, and everything that's going on. And they lock into you in such a way that they ask to be transformed in your consuming fire, that you shake their life and they get to hold on to what's unshakable. And that you cause them to be able to do what Moses did and live according to the power of an indestructible life. And God, would you display that to the world around us that is wondering what's true? Will you reveal in these people that say yes to you the very heart and likeness of Jesus that will be a light to a world in darkness? And will you cause people to be drawn to them and totally changed? God, earth is my eternal home, and I want to dwell here with you. And I pray that you cause us to start valuing every day I get to be here. And Lord, I pray that you have a bunch of good folks that will be on your team that want to be on the field and want you to throw them the ball. And I pray that you cause that to happen in the hearts of every hearer in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you, Brett. It's a great conversation as always. Appreciate it. Yeah. All over the map, but probably good. Oh, it was good. Definitely. <laughs> so I take it. You're going to be doing some work around the yard all weekend. You know, I don't know yet, but Jesus and I haven't had speaks about what my weekend's about, but uh, probably I have a long list of, of things to do that I hope I'll do with him or my wife or both. Or both. That's good. Well, I'm going to work on that freezer up here. Awesome. It'll be good. Thank you, Brad. Always a pleasure. Thank you. God bless you. Patriots, that was Pastor Brad Cummings. Great friend, amazing voice, and just uh, just absolutely refreshing always in the the way he puts Scripture and the way he brings everything in his life closer closer to Jesus. So I hope you enjoyed it. I always do. And I get the privilege of getting to talk to him frequently. So that's why it's so nice to bring him on the show. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bat at evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. 
but we are here in this time and this place for just such a time as this. We are at war, so walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land, expand the kingdom, subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. for Prayer Saturday. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again. Dive into the deepest dead. Oh.